0: Let me give you an example from everyday life. Let's say, let's say that your parents wrote out a last will and testament. And in that will, it, it, it said a number of things, and then it said, when my spouse and I are taken from this earth, we leave our whole estate, our house, our property, our cars, our money, our investments to our children to be divided among them. Okay, And then let's say, let's say there was a terrible accident and you went to the funeral and after the funeral you met with the judge and the judge took out your parents' last will and testament and then began reading it, opened it up and began reading it to you and the rest of your siblings. And he read the will and then he got to the point where it said our whole estate, our house, our property, our cars, our investments, our money is all being given to you, the children. Okay? It's yours. The money is all coming to you. It's all yours. And then the judge takes that piece of paper and folds it back up and puts it back in the envelope and sets it down. And then he looks at you and says, but you aren't going to be getting any of those things unless... You volunteer 30 hours a week community service. Your children maintain a certain grade point average in school. And you perform so well at each one of your jobs that you are regularly being promoted. Does that judge have the right to do that? No, he doesn't. Right? He cannot add his own conditions to a duly established document, you would rebel, wouldn't you? That judge simply has to let that document speak for itself. He can't change it. He can't add to it. And that was the example that Paul was using. This is exactly the example Paul was using to make his argument. He says, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but end to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Okay, let me me take you through that now. Make sure everyone understands. Way back in Genesis, so this is a thousand or more years earlier, way back in Genesis, God comes to Abraham and says, Through your seed, all people on earth are going to be blessed. Now notice how clear and precise Scripture is. It wasn't seeds with an S in it. It was seed, singular. And look what a difference that made. Instead of referring to all sorts of like all of the offspring, it referred to one in particular, this one right here, the one we remember through the cross. It referred to Jesus. So do you think it's important to study the text carefully when we read the Bible? So God comes to Abraham, and he tells Abraham, through your seed, All the people, you and all the people on earth will be blessed. You will be justified. You will be saved. You will be given a right standing with God. All your sins will be washed away. And you will be filled. You will be given the the favor, God's favor and blessing will, will be upon you. God gave all that to Abraham as a promise. And it was his through faith alone. As we heard last week, Abraham simply believed that promise and it was given to him. So, 430 years before the law ever was officially given, God had already promised salvation to Abraham. He had already promised. Abraham wasn't saved by... Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, wasn't saved by obeying the law. So Paul's point, God already gave the promise. You can't be saved by something that comes 430 years later. The human covenant in verse 15 there, that human covenant that Paul spoke of, that's a will. When you you study and read about what that word is, he's talking about a will, a last will and covenant. So there are two qualities of a will that will teach us something here. Number one, a will is a promise. A will promises to give property and goods to those who, who go on after us. Okay? A, a, a will doesn't demand. It just gives. The second thing about a will, it has a binding nature to it. It cannot be changed. Once a will has been duly established, usually by the passing of the person who wrote it, it cannot be changed. It cannot be added to. It has a binding nature to it. So if this is true for a human document, how much more true must it be for God's covenant with Abraham? If if we don't tamper with a human will, how much less should should those Judaizers have been allowed to overturn God's covenant with Abraham by a document that came some 430 years later? Which is what exactly they were trying to do. God's covenant with with Abraham was a promise and it came first. It came before the law. It wasn't a set of rules. It was a promise to bless us through his seed. It was a promise to bless us through Jesus, And just like a human covenant, it can't be changed. But even more so because it's God's covenant. So a will gives, not demands. The, the covenant with, that, that God made with Abraham promises blessings, pl- eternal blessings to, to all people through his seed, through Jesus. Now, it, it's a promise. It gives. So thinking... You and I thinking we have to do something to receive those blessings, that nullifies the promise. Relying on our performance of those laws takes away that good news, It it changes it. The law can't save you. God doesn't save through behavioral modification. All right? You living a better life doesn't save you. You, being more and more obedient to the Ten Commandments, doesn't save you. Because God has already promised you salvation through faith in Jesus alone. And that's what saves you. And that promise came first. That promise came before the law even existed. Around here, around here our motto is more joy than guilt. That's our motto. And that's basically another way of saying um, that God's grace, that his, his gospel, His good news, always outshines the law. Okay? It, it always wins out over the law. When you look at the Word of God, the gospel predominates. It's more important than the law. It is superior to the law. Scan verses 19 and 20. Look at some of these things. The law was added. It, it was secondary. The gospel came... First, but, but the Judaizers were giving the law undue importance. Next phrase, the law was added because of transgressions. God's children showed that they were stubborn. They needed training. They needed correction. And the law was given to them to, uh, to keep them separate from the pagan world around them and to, to, to keep them safe. And then it says the law was needed until the seed had come. So the law was Temporary. Those ceremonial laws that God gave Moses for the children of Israel were only necessary until the time that Jesus came just as was promised. And finally, the law required a, the law required a mediator. Now, we're, we're not, Scripture doesn't tell us about exactly what the role of angels was there, but it did require a mediator, Moses. Because it was a two-sided covenant with conditions. It was kind of like one of these. You do this for me, and I'll do that for you. So it needed a human sinful mediator like Moses to act as a go-between between between God and his unreliable people. So how much greater would be God's covenant since it is one party making a one-sided covenant? Especially when that one party is as faithful and reliable as God. So... For all these reasons, listed there in verses 19 and 20, the gospel is a million times superior to the law. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. So then we have to ask the obvious question that Paul asks. What then is the purpose of the law? If we are saved by Jesus alone, through faith alone, by God's grace alone, then why even have the law? Why do we need it? Let me give you a couple of reasons. The first thing that the law does for all people is it restrains evil. In catechism class, we call it a curb. It curbs evil. It restrains evil. Let me illustrate. There is a reason, there is a reason that you don't speed badly. Notice I didn't say a reason that you don't speed. I said, there's a reason that you don't speed badly. There is a reason that you only go a little bit over the speed limit. What is the reason? Is it because you guys are so righteous and holy? No. The reason is that you don't want a ticket. That's what the law does. Okay? It's, it's like a cage that restrains a tiger. It doesn't change the nature of the tiger. It just cages the tiger. If we are afraid of the consequences of disobeying the law, that doesn't make us righteous. It doesn't mean we are righteous. It means that we are afraid of punishment. It doesn't mean that we're holy. It it just means that we're being restrained. It's restraining us. It's curbing us. So put it this way, if you don't murder someone because you're afraid of life in prison, does that make you righteous? If you're thinking, I want to choke this nasty person to death, but I saw that documentary on how bad uh, prison is, and I've seen CSI enough to know that I probably won't get away with it, so I won't murder this person, does that make you righteous? Righteous? That doesn't make you righteous, okay? That doesn't make you holy. The law isn't setting you free there. It is just restraining you from greater evil. It is curbing you from greater evil. And that is one use of the law. It restrains us from greater evil. Here's here's another use of the law. It is a mirror. It shows us as we are, as we actually are. It shows how flawed we are because of sin. I'm guessing that most of the people in the room today consider themselves to be good people. Maybe there might be a couple of you that hate yourself, but I would say that most of you probably consider yourselves to be good people. Why? Well, it isn't because you're comparing yourself to God's perfect standard. You consider yourselves to be good people because you compare your strengths with other people's weaknesses. So it's because you say, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't gossip like she does. Except right now where I'm telling you how she gossips. But other than that, I might not be perfect, but I'm a good person. But see, here's what the law does. It's a mirror. It shatters that myth. The law is like an MRI showing you your cancer. It's a mirror that, that shows all your imperfections. You can't lie to it. You you can't pretend to be something that you aren't. I mean, you can can say, well, I can can do it on my own. I don't need Jesus. But the law says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh, no way. You have failed tremendously already. The law shows us our sin. It's a mirror that shows us our sin. It, it, It shows us how badly we need a Savior. Look at verse 22. Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. You see, we, we sin and then we sin some more by lying and saying we haven't sinned. You and I need something that will show us that we can't get away with that. We're just like a kid that has been uh, busted by their parent doing something they shouldn't do, right? The dad says, did you do this? And, and the kid replies, No. Did you do this? No. You mean to tell me that you've been running around all morning wearing your football helmet and this hole in the wall that just happens to be shaped exactly like a football helmet wasn't caused by you? Nope. Okay, well, who do you think did it then? I don't know. Maybe my sister. Your sister's at camp. Well, I don't know then. Well, actually, I have video of you right here doing it. Well, that's not me. It's ridiculous to argue against the law. But God's law shows us that we are guilty. On video. All right? HD video. It's clear as can be. We can't argue against that. The law shows us that we're guilty. The law shows us that we are prisoners of sin. You can't argue with it. And that's another reason for the law. It's another thing the law does it's a mirror. So we do need the law. Okay? But listen, we can be glad for this. I'm glad that I have a mirror like the law. Why? Because as the law shows us how sinful we are, it shows us how much we need Jesus it leads us to Christ. Paul speaks, So the law was put into charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law terrifies it. It haunts. It guilts. It puts a weight on people who do not have Jesus Christ because it condemns me. It, it condemns me. It shows that I can't do it on my own. And so the law will continue to reveal sin in my life. It will continue to terrorize my conscience until I trust in Jesus Christ. The law shows me I need him. The law leads me to him. The, the law is not something, as the Judaizers were saying, the law is not something to be added to what Jesus did. Okay, it's not something, well, Jesus did this for me, but now we've got we to gotta live like this in order to help Jesus save me. It's, the law is not something to help me earn my salvation. Okay, that's, that's not the purpose of the law. That is not one of the purposes of the law. The law can't be added to what Jesus did. The law, the law leads me to Jesus. It's not added to Jesus. The law leads me to him to show me how much I need him. That's what the law does. And now Jesus is here. Now Jesus is here for you. Friends, you can rest in Jesus. You do not need to be terrorized by the law. He has given you the promise of salvation as a gift. We saw that gift being handed through his wonderful, holy act of baptism. We have a God who makes that promise, who gives that to us as a gift. You are free. You don't need to fear. You have Jesus. You can rest in Him. That's the gospel. There are a lot of babies in here today. I love it. Um, I I think it's only been one other time that we had three baptisms in one day. Uh, I love children, love babies. There's a lot of babies in here today. I think they're all wearing diapers. Um, Some of them might be wearing pajamas. They're being held. Some of them might be being nursed, being bottle fed. Some of the older ones might be out in the nursery because they don't have the attention span to sit all the way through this sermon. And you know what? None of them are embarrassed by any of those things. All right? They are using their diapers to go to the bathroom in, and that doesn't bother them. Not one little bit. They have no qualms about being in here in their pajamas. No inhibitions about that. They like being held. And they need to be nursed. They need to be bottle-fed. And that doesn't embarrass them one little bit. Not even blush. And that's all right for them. That's okay. They're babies. All right? There's no shame there. There shouldn't be. They're babies. That's what they do. It's cool for them. But here's the thing. It would not be so cool for us. All right? Because if you're an adult in here today and you're nursing or being bottle-fed, I don't know, but I, I, I think there's going to be some trouble by the end of the day. <clears throat> and if you're an adult in here, and you're wearing your pajamas today, then I think we might need to give our intern a new title. Head of security. And if you're an adult in here today, and you're out in the nursery because you can't sit still and listen, there's something wrong with that. And if you're embarrassed by that, good, you should be. Now listen to this. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So the Greek says, the law was our paedagogos to lead us to Christ. I love that word. Now a paedagogos was a custodian or a nursemaid. It's basically a servant employed by a Greek family to watch over a kid while that kid was young uh, to make sure that he behaved properly. So a paedagogus, this this servant, would then accompany that kid to school, make sure he gets there, make sure that he doesn't get in trouble along the way. So basically, this paedagogus was a chaperone, or we'd probably say a babysitter. So the law was a babysitter that was watching over us to make sure that we would come to Christ. But you know the thing about a babysitter, right? Babysitters aren't needed forever. Adults, we don't need a babysitter anymore. You can go to the bathroom, the washroom on your own. You can make your food on your own. You can go to work on your own. You don't need someone watching over you anymore. That would be embarrassing. These Judaizers we've been talking about in Galatia, these ones wanting to go back to the law and add that to Jesus, these Judaizers, and and this is Paul's whole point, these Judaizers wanted to continue to be babysat by the ceremonial law. That ceremonial law was given to them way back as a babysitter to make sure they got to Christ. But the problem is, they've grown up now, they're adults, but they wanted to continue to be babysat by the ceremonial law. And we do the same thing when in our self-righteousness we look to our own religious activity to make us right with God. But friends, here's the deal. You are no longer under the supervision of the law. The law has led us to Jesus. The law has led us to him. And in him, in him we find the gospel. In him we find the good news. You're forgiven. You're loved by God. Your sins are forgiven. You're holy. You are his child. In him we find that promise. In him we find that good news. In him we find more joy than guilt. So friends, you don't need a babysitter anymore. Enjoy your freedom. Live your lives in thanks to Him. Live your lives in faith. Out of faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Keep our minds and hearts in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.